was looking up some scripture to prepare my next sermon, and while I was doing that, I came across the passage at the end of Acts chapter 2 that describes the characteristics of the early church. And I was so challenged by each and every one of those verses, both as a pastor and just on a personal level, that I wanted to take some time to talk about it. And since it's been so long since I've done an off-the-cuff segment, I decided that that would be uh, a great opportunity to do one again. And if you're not familiar with my off-the-cuff series, what it is is I take a passage of scripture, and I just go through the passage one verse at a time, and just talk about it. So I don't really have main points or illustrations planned. It's just me reading scripture and talking about it. And that's what I want to do with this passage, just because of how impactful it was as I was reading it. So again, this is Acts chapter 2, and it begins at verse 41. That's, that's where I want to begin. And this is right at the end of Jesus' disciple Peter standing up and addressing a crowd of people, sharing with them the gospel message about Jesus being the, uh, the Messiah. And so that just took place, and I want us to pick up from there, starting at verse 41. It says, Those who, ex- who accepted his message, talking about Peter's message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, first of all, that is an incredible number of people coming to Christ in one day, at one event. 3,000 people. And we can tell that these people were genuine in their desire to join uh, with the disciples to become followers of Christ because they were all willing to be baptized, which was a public sign of their faith and their devotion to the cause. So all of them were baptized, 3,000 people. What an incredible revival that is. And It's hard for me to even begin to think, where do you start with 3,000 people? Like if, if my church, for whatever reason, put on an event and had 3,000 people decide to give their life to Christ, I would internally be freaking out a bit, wondering how am I going to be a pastor to all of these people, this many people, How is this going to work? How is this all going to come together? This is going to be absolutely crazy, which I think is such a testament to the fact that this does work out, and these people do become the foundation of the early church. So 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Then verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I like that this verse emphasizes that they were devoted both to the discipleship aspect of their new faith, of listening to the teachings that the apostles were teaching them, as well as praying regularly, deepening their connection with God, kind of those spiritual disciplines that they were taking part in. And not only were they taking part in that, but they were also taking part in the fellowship and the breaking of bread with one another. So one of those things, the teaching and the prayer, has to do with more of that spiritual depth in your life and that spiritual foundation. 
But just as important was that they were devoting themselves to fellowship with one another as well. And this is something that I think a lot of churches can kind of fall into one of either of these two categories if they aren't balancing uh, if they aren't balancing their duties as a church correctly. Because one of the things that churches sometimes do is they push so hard into having solid theological teaching and that that's all it all it's about. And, and even things like the trend for online churches have kind of moved that way where they say, well, the important thing is that the word is being preached. And it doesn't really matter if we're all in the same room or we're spread across the whole nation. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is that people are believing in the words of Christ. But that's not what the early church did. They didn't devote themselves just to the apostles' teaching and prayer. They also devoted themselves to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, of spending time with one another, encouraging one another, and that whole iron sharpening iron mentality that is given in Scripture about two people, two believers, being able to strengthen each other's faith and helping keep them accountable to what they say they believe. So not only were they devoted to the teaching and the prayer, also devoted to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. And that's something that sometimes the churches can go too far in that direction to where church just kind of becomes a social club. And it's all about just making everybody feel happy and welcome. And and they move so far away to the foundational teachings of Christ because they're so worried it might offend somebody. And it might make somebody uncomfortable. It, it might put somebody off. And we don't want to do that. We want everybody to just be happy and getting along. And then it becomes uh, not even a church anymore. It just becomes a social club. And this is kind of a warning to not fall into just one of those two sides to too great of a degree, but to make sure that you are balancing those things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Both sides of that. So then going on, verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So in this early church, what you had taking place was many wonders and signs. Miracles were kind of a, a, a daily occurrence that took place among them. It was something that happened regularly. And that shows that the Spirit of God was present in the early church. And not only was it present, but it was evident, it was visible to those who were there. Because they were filled with awe by seeing all of these wonders and signs. And I definitely never want to become a follower of Christ whose life isn't filled with signs of the Spirit at work. I could have great theological teaching. I could get along with people really well. But if there's no power of the Spirit in my life, then I am not living up to the standard that God has set for my life. 
everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And then verse 44, it says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. This can be especially challenging to me personally sometimes because I don't really wrestle with greed in the sense that I want more stuff or I want a higher quality of living. I'm perfectly content with what I have and where I'm at, and that's enough for me. But the part of greed that I would say I do wrestle with is the idea that the things that I do have, I really want to make sure that I keep those things. And that I have availability to use them when I want to use them. They're they're mine. I don't want anybody else taking them away. Those belong to me. And that is something that I do wrestle with. And I have to remind myself that it's just stuff. And that people are more important than just stuff. And that's what I see reflecting or being reflected in this verse of the believers were together and had everything in common. They shared things with one another. They were not possessive of their possessions. They were willing to share with one another. And that's the complete opposite of, of, I think, just about all of our natures. You think of any child, right? One of the first phrases, one of the first words that they learn is the word mine, right? That's mine. That's not yours. It's mine. And, you know, it's it's shocking to me sometimes to find that that mentality of a child, not wanting to share, but wanting to hold on to what's theirs, is something that I still wrestle with and something that I still have to, to break apart and realize that everything I've been given is just a gift from God and that my possessions belong first and foremost to him, and if it can benefit someone else better than it can benefit me, why not be willing to share with them? And that's difficult sometimes. But that's something that is found in the early church. And and because they had that mentality, I think it really helped them to place a greater focus on people than on their possessions, a greater focus on people than on stuff. And I think that probably made a huge impact on their ministry and on people realizing that those believers, those followers of Christ, they act in a way that is very different than other people in the world. They share things with one another the kindness and love they have for one another, I want to be a part of something like that. There's something there that's more than anything else in the world. And the next verse, it even even takes it a step further. It says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So this isn't even, even just talking about them sharing things with each other. They would sell things that they had in order to meet the needs of other people in their community, in their church, in their faith. That is not just sharing. That, that's sacrifices. Those are, that's making sacrifices. 
to meet the needs of those who are around them. And I read something like that, and I can't help but ask myself, does my life reflect that? And how can my life reflect that? I think one of the things that I struggle with in the idea of giving to people who are in need, and I've talked about some of it before, sometimes you don't really know who is in need and who is just trying to get a handout. But on top of that, I think the people around us in general, at least where I live, there's usually not a need that they have that isn't already being met. Everyone I know is able to buy food. They're not starving. You know, they don't have as much money as they want to, and I hear about that often. But nobody is struggling just to eat or struggling to find a place to live. If anything, they just wish that it was cheaper and they had more money left over. But that can make it difficult for me sometimes to to find people who are in need. And that doesn't mean that people don't have needs around me. But maybe I'm not paying good enough attention. Maybe I'm not looking hard enough to find the people who are in need in order to help them out. Jesus even said that you will always have the poor with you. So they are there, but am I looking for them? And am I willing to make sacrifices in order to help them meet their needs? Is that something that we do? That is something they did in the early church. All the believers were together, had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Let's continue to verse 46. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad, with glad and sincere hearts. Every day they met together. They interacted with each other on a daily basis. That's something that I would love to see in our world, but it's one of those things that I don't even know where to begin in how to build a church community, a congregation that is able to interact with each other on a daily basis. I've talked a little bit about, uh, in the past, about my vision for a church that, you know, its doors aren't locked Monday through Saturday, and Sunday evenings. But Sunday mornings, the doors are unlocked and you can come in. But instead to have a church that is open every day of the week, that's available for all people at any time they need help, and to have people that are just coming in and out of the church regularly, just to meet with one another, talk to each other, share life together, Not just share stories of their life, but actually share in the process of life. To live together, not like live together as in sleep there and and things like that. Everybody would still have their own homes. Nobody, It's not people living at the church, but just on a daily basis, there are people in the church interacting with one another. 
And that's a vision that God put on my heart years ago. And here I see the early church doing just that. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And that part really stands out to me too. Fellowship with glad and sincere hearts. Having grown up in church, I know that that is not always the case. That not every time that people are getting together for fellowship, that they do so sincerely with a glad heart. In fact, sometimes it's with a very bitter heart, but they just put on a good face. Because that's what you're supposed to do at church. And yet the early believers were not like that. When they fellowshiped with one another, it was with glad and sincere hearts. Sometimes I don't even see glad faces in church. Sometimes it's just people complaining about how early it is in the morning. And I probably see more just straight faces than smiling faces. And I think that is a good indicator that, that something has gone wrong. That we aren't all, all smiling. Not that we have to be smiling all the time. But I, it should be the norm instead of the exception. And in the early church, they met with glad hearts and sincere hearts. No hidden motives. No masks that they wore just going through the motions. What you saw was what you got. And what you saw was happiness. And we know that the early church had fewer reasons for happiness than we have now. The persecution that they went through, the turmoil, the strife, the fear for their lives. And yet they met with sincerely glad hearts. You can see why I found this to be so challenging, not only as a pastor, but on a personal level. That this is, this is what we should have. This is what we should be experiencing. And how do we do that? It has to start with ourselves. Let's do the last verse now. Verse 47 says they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This is probably the first clue as to why they had such glad hearts is that they were praising God. Just like how we talk about at Thanksgiving time that we should be thankful all year long, this shows that they were. That these believers in the early church were thankful because they were praising God. They were thanking God for all they had, praising his name, lifting his name up regularly. And churches today, we, we still do that in worship and at worship time. But is it something that goes beyond just worship? When the service is over and everyone's standing around talking, is it conversations filled with praising God or with complaining? With negative speech, 
Or is it words of thankfulness? The early church were praising God continually and enjoying the favor of all the people, meaning that all the people were welcome there. And the believers enjoyed having all people around. And as you read through, uh, especially Paul's letters, you know, some of the books that come after Acts in the New Testament, we can see that there was a lot of strife and division that developed between Jews and Gentiles and and just these different classes and, and groups of thinking. But at the start, that division wasn't there. At the start, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. How accepting are we, not of just the people we like, but how accepting are we of all people? And finally, it says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And there's a few things that can come from that one sentence. First, I want to point out that it says the Lord was adding to their number daily, meaning that the work that was being done was done primarily by the Lord, not by human efforts, but by God working through people. We can have the best plans, the best strategies, and they will always pale in comparison to God's plans and God's strategies to grow his kingdom. And we always have to remember not to rely on our own thinking, but to rely on God's guidance in doing his work and his ministry. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And people were being saved. They were giving their life to Christ on a daily basis. That means more than just planting seeds in somebody's life. That is a phrase that the more I hear it, the more frustrated I become with it. And the idea that it originates from is such a good idea of that you're not just trying to get everybody to say a sinner's prayer, but sometimes you're just planting seeds. Sometimes you're just being a witness into their life. But I think that has become problematic because the church is now full of way more seed planters than harvesters. And I think about what Jesus said when he says, the, the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. And I think too many people in too many churches are so busy planting seeds that there's nobody willing to do any harvesting. And that there are people who have had seeds planted and watered in their life, and they're ripe for harvest, and yet people are still just going around planting more seeds. And it's time to stop just dropping hints and time to begin bringing people into the saving grace of Christ. People were being, daily, were being saved daily. Enough seed planting. The harvest is ripe. Where are the workers? 
God is ready to do a work, and he's ready to do the work through us. And after they were saved, and this is another point, says they were added to their number daily. Means it's not just getting somebody to say the sinner's prayer and, okay, you're good to go. No, it was adding them into the number of the early church. Saying, we're not just here to get you to say you're sorry for your sins and move on. We want to help you grow in our community and in the teaching of Scripture and in prayer all over the breaking of bread that that takes place. We want you to join with us on this journey. Added to their number. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This passage is so challenging because we see how the church was at its foundation. And I think when we compare that to churches nowadays, that most churches fall fall short of this standard. And so if you're out there and you're listening, and if, first of all, if you don't know Christ, if you're not a believer, but you've been listening, first of all, thank you for listening. And I welcome you here. And you realize that that there is more to life than what you've been experiencing. And maybe you've been to church before, but, but never a church that was like this church that we see in scripture and you realize that that is what you're missing i encourage you to either reach out to me or plug into a church nearby that has these traits these characteristics or both because i would love to help you in that process and show you that god has so much more to your life than what you're experiencing now but if you're out there and you are a believer I want you to ask yourself, how can these traits be applied to my life? Because it's easy to say, well, well, how can I just apply this to my church? And the answer is always that it has to start with you. Because if your life doesn't have these traits and characteristics, then you're not going to find it in any church you go to because it will still be missing in your heart. And so... I encourage you to read through this again and again and again this week and ask God what you need to change in your life to be closer to the example that is shown through these believers. And that's my challenge for you. And until next time, this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, you can reach me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, I encourage you to share this with other people to help get the message out there. But until next time, thank you for taking the time to listen, and I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day.